So uh, let me tell y'all a story. We are still, we're going to finish up our discussion on death tonight. And um, like I said, I was going to do a, 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 have a study guide for you. But I, rather than, than, than do what I had planned, at the last minute I decided to call an audible and to still use our 1 Corinthians 15 text as the main uh, text to launch out of. But we're going to look specifically at what happens when a person dies. And there's one particular story in the Bible that I felt like just we need to dive into it to understand really the best and, and most comprehensive study of it. Let me read to you 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I'm going to start reading in verse 20. And I'm going to go through to 28. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ." Then comes the end when He delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For He must reign until He has put all His enemies under His feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in, subject, in subjection under His feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that He is expect, uh, accepted who put all things in subjection under Him. When all things are subjected to Him, when the Son Himself will also be subjected to Him, who put all things in subjection under Him, that God may be all in all. And in there we see the plan that death is the last enemy. And it's the last enemy that's going to be defeated. Death is an enemy. We looked at last week kind of what death is. I was first, I first had my encounter with death, not my own personal death, but what death is um, when I was eight years old. Uh, I remember my grandmother had uh, cancer and uh, she um, lost all of her hair for the treat because of the treatment. She wore a wig. Um, I remember her getting sicker and sicker and sicker. And then one night, I remember uh, mom saying, let's go and see Grandmother Worthy. That was uh, what we called her. And so we went over to Grandmother Worthy's house, and she was laying in a hospital bed in the living room. Some of you may have seen similar situations before. Some of you might not have. But... We went in there, and I remember we had known that she was sick. And mom had kind of, this is my mom's mom. Mom had kind of coached us, you know, that when we go in there, you need to be very sweet to grandmother. Very, very sweet. Now, we didn't realize at the time it's because family had been called in because we were saying our goodbyes. I was too young. My brother was too young. But we go in there, and we see her laying in the bed, and we go up, and I remember 
uh, my little eight-year-old hand taking hers and telling her, we love you, Grandmother Worthy. I'm so glad to see you. And her looking at us and smiling. And I remember looking back and, and being happy to be there because Grandmother Worthy was someone who made us very, very happy. And Mom, with a lot of tears welling up in her eyes, she says, um, Josh, Jordan, why don't you go sit outside on the steps? My Aunt Tina was on her way. She said, just sit outside on the steps and uh, wait for Aunt Tina to come. And when Aunt Tina comes, don't, you know, get up and run inside. Nothing like that. Just, just get up and let us know that Aunt Tina's there. So we went and sat down outside on the little porch steps. And Jordan and I, again, know that Grandmother Worthy is sick. We don't know the gravity of what's happening. And we're just talking like it's a normal evening. Aunt Tina pulls into the driveway. We get up. We walk inside. When we walk inside, Mom's eyes are not the only ones that have tears in them. But everybody in the room is crying. This is before cell phones. So only the people inside the house realized Grandmother Worthy had just passed. My granddad was holding it together as much as he could. But when Aunt Tina walked in, Aunt Tina walked in and uh, Mom gives her a hug, tells her, Grandmother Worthy has passed. She's died. And of course, then she starts crying. I remember very vividly, it's an image that will never leave my mind for as long as I live, Granddaddy Worthy, at that point, sitting down in a chair, and his chair, his granddaddy chair that he always sat in, and he plunged his head into his hands, and I remember he wept. He wept. Different from crying. Crying, you, you, you cry, it's all over your face and everything like that, but this was a whole body crying. He wept. That was my first encounter with death. If you have not encountered death, let me tell you, it is an enemy. Death is a terrible, wicked enemy. And I, for one, cannot wait to see that enemy defeated. And Christ is going to do it. Christ has already died and then three days later got up. He has already taken out the sting of death for those who are in Christ. He has already removed the fear that death has over people. He has given a hope to those who are in Christ that even facing the enemy of death, we can have joy because we know that Christ has overcome. So we looked last week at what is death. We're looking this week at that enemy one more time. And we're going to look at kind of the nuts and bolts of what is it that happens when you die. What is it that actually goes on when you die? So let me pray for us. And then... Um, and then we're going to dive into, we're going to look at, we're going to go to Luke 16. So then we're going to go to Luke 16 with someone I'm praying, okay? So let me go, uh, let me go uh, to the Lord in prayer. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we do love you.
we do praise You. God, we hate death. We hate death. And Lord, it's right for us to hate death because it's our enemy. It's a dreadful, terrible enemy. It separates body from soul. It separates loved ones from each other. God, it, it's a final and wicked and terrible thing to endure. But Father, the reality is that it's not the end. There is eternity after death. And Father, I pray that as tonight as we look at Your Word and we, we see what it has to say, I pray that You would bless these students, that You would bless uh, our time together. And I pray that You would help us to have an understanding, Father, that even though death is so severe and so great an enemy, that You have laid it completely swallowed up in victory. You have left it completely without sting. And Father, You have left it without any fear for those who are in Your Son. I pray that You would help us to rejoice in that tonight. It's in Your Son's name, Jesus, we ask these things and for His sake. Amen. So open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. Now let me give you just a brief introduction to what is going on in Luke 16 when we come to these passages. We're going to be reading in verse 19 in just a moment. Alright, Jesus is talking to all kinds of people. He's talking to Pharisees, Sadducees. He's talking to uh, people who are His disciples, people who don't believe in, in Him. And He starts going through parables, okay? At the beginning of 16, you got the parable of the dishonest manager. And he walks them, he walks the disciples through that. He takes the Pharisees into the law and the kingdom of God. He talks to them about divorce and remarriage. You guys, we just came through these things uh, on Sunday mornings. And we just talked about this passage on a Sunday morning not too long ago. And then he gets to these verses, chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. I'm going to read them to you in just a moment. There is some debate whether or not this is a parable. Is Jesus speaking in a parable here? Or is this a story? Is this a real, actual story that's happened? I'll let you know where I land on it. Uh, I think that this is a story. It's an actual story. I don't think this is a parable, okay? Um, the reason, there's a couple reasons for that. The flow of the chapter seems to be that he's talking in parables, 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 and then the Pharisees aren't understanding it and they're using accusations against Jesus. So Jesus then starts talking to them very plainly about the law and the kingdom of God, about divorce and remarriage. And then he goes right into this story about the rich man and Lazarus. So it seems like he's talking plainly to these Pharisees. Not only that, but if this is a parable, it's the only parable where one of his characters has a name. The name Lazarus is mentioned here. No other 
parable has a name associated with it. Lastly, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. This is not an earthly story. This is a heavenly story. And so it doesn't fit into the narrative of, uh, of a parable. However, I could very easily be wrong. Either way, whether it's a story or whether it's a parable, it's incredibly gripping. Let's go to it. Let's see what happens here, okay? In Luke chapter 16, beginning in verse 19, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen who had, and who had feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus. Now, this is not the Lazarus who's raised from the dead uh, in John 11. Covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. That's not some sort of kindly dog coming to lick a sore. That's like a wild dog seeing a sick man trying to come and lick the sores because it sees there's blood and it can... This is not a, a kind illustration. The poor man died, was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able. And none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. It's interesting because someone does rise from the dead and they're not convinced when Lazarus, the different Lazarus, rises from the dead. Let's break into this, okay? Jesus tells this story and he immediately goes in. He's talking to the Pharisees. He's talking to them about the law and the kingdom of God, divorce and remarriage. And then he goes into this story about the rich man and Lazarus. Now, I think maybe likely he was telling a story here that the people knew, the Pharisees knew who this rich man was and likely knew who Lazarus was. And so he fills them in on what eternity looks like. And it gives us a glimpse into what eternity looks like from the lips, from the mouth of the Savior Himself. And what does He say, what is described when Lazarus, the poor man, when he dies, it says the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. To Abraham's side. Now, let me, 
We're going to go through a study of heaven, okay? So I'm not going to give you all of the, the, the details now, okay? Abraham's side, it was called a long time ago, Abraham's bosom. It's been known as different things like that, okay? This is a place of paradise, okay? This is a place of delight, of good. To be at Abraham's side would be immediately associated by those who heard it to, wait a minute, the poor man went to Abraham's side? The poor man went to paradise? The poor man went to the good place? And in fact, Christ himself says, yes, angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried and in Hades being in torment. What a contrast. And it would have been right there in the Pharisees' face as well. Wait a minute, you mean this rich man? Maybe, potentially, this rich man who I knew? The guy who I, I ate at his house a couple of times? Potentially. He's in Hades, in torment? What we see here is a glimpse of what happens upon our death. And it's one of two realities. And it's split not by having wealth or being poor. It's not split by having good things here versus having bad things here. It's not split by any of those things, but it is split upon the foundation of faith. The reason why we know it's split on the foundation of faith is because it says that the angels carried him to Abraham's side. And we know that Abraham, by faith, was counted as righteous. We know that from Hebrews. So this poor man had faith in God, faith in the work and the grace of God. This rich man had faith in his luxury and his wealth. And the contrast could not be more stark. They go to Hades for the rich man Abraham's side for Lazarus. And we see the difference. What's the difference? What was Abraham's side? What does it seem to be from this story? Heaven? Say it again. Paradise? Does it seem that good things are happening there? Rest is happening there. What's in between? What does it say is in between there? A chasm. What's a chasm? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's... So if you want to get technical, the Grand Canyon is a chasm. It's this huge expanse, this separation to where you can't get from one side to the other. You just cannot do it, all right? A chasm is a great expanse that no one can cross. It's deep, it's wide, and this one has no end. You cannot get from Hades to Abraham's side you cannot get from Abraham's side to Hades. From the mouth of Jesus, he initiates a reality, or he initiates a teaching that sets in stone a reality that was known before this, but was confirmed here, that upon our death, our bodies go in the ground, but our spirits continue to be alive. Our spirits continue and they go to either one of two places. They go either to a place of rest 
to God's presence, to over, overabundance of joy and happiness with our Savior, with our Lord, or it goes to a place of torment from the very wrath of God. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 6 through 8. Oh, I'll read through 10. This is Paul writing, he says, So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. The Bible tells us, and the King James is very popular with saying, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. It's in, these, it's in these verses. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. In other words, upon death, immediately, we are present with the Lord. And we're present with the Lord either in blessing, in hope, in comfort, or we are present with the Lord in judgment and in wrath. And Paul makes a statement here. He says, he says that we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. For the believer, for the Christian, the desire is to be with the Lord. And if I go through death to get there, then so be it. I want to be with God. I want to be with my Savior. Upon death, our spirits go to be with the Lord. Either in judgment and wrath for those who are in condemnation or for those who are in God's grace and in His salvation. It's a place of comfort and blessing. Philippians 1, I'll start reading in verse 22. It says, If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. For a believer to be away from the body and to be with Christ is far better than life here on this earth. Far, far better. So where do we go? Here, in Luke 16, and I'm not really going to tease this out too much, but in Luke 16 we get a description of eternity that looks different from maybe our ideas of eternity now. What, when you think of heaven or hell now, what do you think of them as? Hell, let's just go with heaven. What do you think of when you, if you close your eyes and you try and picture heaven, what comes to your mind? What thoughts come to your mind? Yeah. Streets of gold. Streets of gold from the Scripture. Yeah, Scripture tells us. What else? Yeah. Clouds? You think of clouds? That's, that's good. That's not the problem. <laughs> Revelation said that when he looked up and saw a vision of the throne room, it was like seeing a cloud. That's okay. Yeah. Say it again. Mansions. Mansions. You get that probably from Christ's teaching that if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. 
He goes to prepare a place for us. What else? A throne. The throne room of Christ. The throne room of God. But none of the descriptions that are here, Abraham's side doesn't look anything like that. What about hell? What do you think of when you, come, when you think of Hades or death or hell? What comes? Fire. More fire. You think of it like the like the, the, the heated rocks, heated coals. Alright? You get your own personal hell cave. That's oddly descriptive. None of those images occur right here. None of them. I will get into this a little bit more. I think that heaven and hell have changed. I don't think actually there is anyone in hell right now. I believe that heaven and Hades has changed before. I think it will change again. Normally when we think of heaven, we think of what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was called up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. This is Paul talking about a vision that he had where he was called up into third heaven. Just so you know what third heaven is, uh, the clouds and the sky, that would be known as the first heaven the stars, the moon, the sun, that would be known as or categorized as the second heaven and the third heaven would be heaven. The heaven that we think of. Does that make sense? So when we think of heaven, we think of it being a place that's completely separated from, from hell. A place that's completely separated out from those things. And it is. I do believe it is now. I believe that heaven has changed I believe it will change again. I think that hell has changed and I think it will change again. But understand the reality and I'm really trying to wet your whistle because in the next couple of weeks we're going to move off of our last enemy, death. And we're going to look into what is heaven and what is hell as defined from the Scripture. Okay? But I'm trying to prime your pump right now. I'm trying to wet your whistle, get you excited and ready for those lessons in this way. Okay, the Bible tells us that when we die upon our death immediately, at that point, we are either in the presence of God for blessing or the presence of God for wrath. And there is no in-between that we get to stand in. Purgatory is not a real place. And the question, as I said, the dividing line the thing that determines when we're in the presence of God, whether we're there for blessing or for wrath, is not based upon anything that you have done or not done. It's not based upon anything that you can accomplish or achieve. It's based solely upon the work of Christ. Solely upon the work of Christ. And we know that because in Luke 16, like I said, it said that he was carried to Abraham's side. To a side that's marked by faith, 
to a side that's marked by trust in the Lord who alone can save you from Hades, as it says in Luke 16, from hell and from your sin. Where do I get the idea that it's by faith that Abraham was there? From Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Abraham was in paradise. By condemnation, the rich man was in Hades. There's one other perhaps helpful verse Help us understand in Luke chapter 23. I'm going to read it from the Scripture instead of the, uh, the computer. In Luke 23, verses 39 through 43, Jesus is being crucified. He's being crucified beside thieves who deserve to be there. Jesus does not. And in Luke 23, verse 39, one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. The reality is, is that death is a door that takes us into eternity. It's not, like a, it's not, it's not a wall to be broken through. It's more of like a turnstile door that we walk through carries us into our eternal place. And as we go through that door, we enter into eternity. And we stand in the presence of God. Everybody does. And it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. For those who are in unbelief, they step into the presence of God and they see Him as their judge as their rightly angered Lord who pours out wrath upon them. For those who are in Christ, who have by faith put their trust in Him, when they walk through into eternity, they see God as their Savior, as their Lord, 
who gives them grace and mercy. Next week, we're going to start looking into heaven and hell. What are those things? But this week, I want you to kind of get the sense that death is an enemy, a very real, powerful, evil enemy. And God does overcome this enemy. He does it in magnificent form. But everyone steps through that door. And the only dividing line between where you are is faith. Let me pray for us. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we do love You and praise You. We thank You for the opportunity we have to be here. I pray that You would bless these students, that You would use studies even like this as quick as they are and as, as common as they are. We've all heard these things before. I pray You'd use them powerfully for Your glory and for our good. In Your Son's name, Jesus, we ask these things and for His sake. Amen.